Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. When we think of female leadership and admirable women, we might think Eleanor Roosevelt, Frida Kahlo, or Rosa Parks. But there were so many more incredible women leaders throughout history that we haven't been taught about. Women have made so many advances and done so much for the world that has gone either unnoticed, unappreciated, or underrepresented throughout history. Today we'd like to talk about a few of them, because they deserve recognition and they deserve to have people say their names. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi guys, today we're going to do something super fun and a little different. We are looking at 10 little-known historical female leaders that we think will inspire you. Mm. And I'm very interested in this because I've always felt like history is definitely more skewed towards the men of the past and what men have achieved and what men did for our countries. And we don't really hear that much about what the women did of yonder year. Yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) Sylvia and I have had a chat about this and we had two completely different educational upbringings. Mm. So Sylvia, like what was your school like? Well, I was at an all-girls school in the United Kingdom. So my history that I only studied up to 15 before specializing in other subjects, I learned about like, well, there was like ancient history, like the ancient Greeks and the mm-hmm. ancient Romans. Mm-hmm. And then we learned about World War Two, and we learned about British monarchy and, and that history. And I barely knew anything about even like European history, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I knew obviously that... Um, there was kind of like colonial history of Britain, but I barely knew anything about how um, there was the independence of America and like... Was you know. it skewed a little differently? Yeah, well, <laughs> no, no, no. It was kind of, it was very factual. It was less patriotic. I think the yeah. way that this is what, this is what's interesting about history though, is that history is all a perspective of the person writing it. Mm. So American history will have that American perspective, whereas mm-hmm. the British history is, has the British perspective. And it's so true for every culture. It's true. Um, and I also find it interesting um, how um, people say it's his story. It's true. For what history is, because it's talking about the stories of men and men of the past. So that was yes. quite an interesting little tidbit. Yes. And I mean, growing up on the other a completely different part of the world. I went to public school in America. I never got to go to private school until university, but it was the same thing. Um, History was basically, it revolved mainly around men who had changed the world and Mm. done big things. And there were very few women scattered throughout. And and when they did, um, it was... Honestly, we spent a lot of time listening or learning about people like Betsy Ross because she sewed the first flag. Who's Betsy Ross? She sewed the first American flag. Oh. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, she did. But like, I mean, what was her contribution there? Like, no, you know, nothing against Betsy at all. I'm sure it took a lot of work. But, you know, she's sewing 
like, and the men are like <laughs> that we're learning yeah, about yeah. are doing these big things. Um, and she's sewing a flag, which is, it, it m- means a lot, yes. But there's. The greatest achievement was like housework, basically. Yeah, <laughs> right. And you're just like, oh, she's sewing. Yeah. Okay, that's what we did. Um, but there are so many women who did so many amazing things throughout history that we just don't learn about. Mm. Um, so we thought that we'd bring 10 women to you that we thought you probably didn't know about up until now. Yeah, and these are 10 women in the last 200 years. And I think mm. there's probably a lot more women from before that, but we've kind of looked at this, like, sort of semi-recent history period. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which um, are really, really interesting, and 10 little-known female leaders from very different spaces, and we hope that they inspire you. So let's uh, get on to the first one. So the first one is called Virginia Hall, just like Sylvie's maiden name. My yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so she was actually a notorious spy for the Allied fo- forces uh, during World War II. So she was born in Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. and she, throughout her education, became a master of languages. So she started... Um, her college studies or uni studies, if you're a British or Australian person listening to this, at Bernard and Ratcliffe, but she finished them in Paris and Vienna. So she's a long way from Baltimore. Um, She became fluent in not only French, but also German and Italian and learned a little Russian on the side. As you do. Yes. (laughs) So she's basically a complete badass. Um, Also, something else happened to her in her childhood. She had a freak hunting accident. Mm. So her leg had to be amputated. So she actually walked around with a wooden leg. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but she was quite fond of it and, like, didn't seem to bother her at all. (laughs) Like, she couldn't be fussed, like, worrying about her leg. She just went about her life. Um, So during World War II, she became a spy in France, and she actually became the most hated spy by the Nazis because she was so good at it. (laughs) Um, She's responsible for more jailbreaks, sabotage missions, and the leaks of Nazi troop whereabouts than any other spy in France during that time. Wow. Virginia Hall. Someone to really look up to. Total wow. badass. Yeah. Total badass. Okay, well, I'll um, introduce you to our second um, female leader, which is Madam C.J. Walker. Mm. And she was the first female self-made millionaire in the States. Um, and what Madam C.J. Walker did was actually she created specialized hair products for African-American people. And um, it all started from a problem that she experienced herself where she had a scalp disorder that caused her hair to fall out. Mm -hmm. And like many entrepreneurs who were faced with a problem, um, Madam C.J. Walker, who was actually born Sarah Breedlove, um, decided to create her own products for African-American hair um, to solve her problem. So what's really interesting is that Sarah Breedlove Um, who was born in 1867 on a cotton plantation um, in Louisiana, was actually um, born to parents who were recently freed slaves. Wow. Um, So she was really in this emancipation period and as an African-American woman starting a business at that time makes her even more inspiring, let alone the fact that she then turned into a multi-million dollar business. Yes. And then went on to help other African-American 
uh, women also make their own money by becoming like sales agents for her business and wow. and and helping them become successful in sales. So not only was she um, you know a self-made millionaire, she was also philanthropic and and had many educational efforts with African Americans. Um, she's currently actually being played by Octavia Spencer in a program called Self Made on mm. Netflix. Um, it's a good one. I watched it, guys. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> um, so that's definitely one to add to your binge lists for sure. So good. Um, okay, so let's move on to Anna Mendieta. So Anna is um, an interesting woman. She was actually born in 1948 in Havana, Cuba. And this is before the revolution, before Cuba, um, before Fidel Castro came into power. So Mm -hmm. during her childhood up until um, about the age of 12, she was actually going to private schools. Um, She was born to wealthy parents, so she was very well educated and had a very comfortable life. Yeah, see, this blew my mind when when you told me about her just before we started the episode because I, for some reason, always thought that Cuba had communism. Like... (laughs) <laughs> That's so silly, isn't it? But it like goes to show, like, yeah. about, like not having that perspective on history. So wow. So then the revolution happened, and yes, so the revolution happened, and Fidel Castro came to power in 1959. So shortly afterwards, and of course everything was in upheaval. Mm-hmm. Um, so shortly afterwards, um, the United States actually through a um, through the church and also a state department. Mm-hmm came up with a mission that they called, an operation rather, that they called Pedro Pan. And it was a secret program run by the State Department to smuggle children out of Cuba in the early days of Castro's regime. Why? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know much about it. Yeah. Um, but there were parents who were voluntarily allowing their children, um, at least in, in Anna's case, allowing their children to be smuggled out of the country. Thinking they're the going to get a better life. Basically. Yes. Thinking yeah. that they'd have more opportunity. So basically at the age of 12, she was smuggled, you know, into the United States and went from her very comfortable life with her two parents in Cuba to foster homes and orphanages where she spent the remainder of her teenage years. Mm. Um, And she didn't get to see her parents again until she was a young adult. Um, But she ended up going to the University of Iowa. And while she was at the University of Iowa, she achieved a BA and an MFA. But she said that during that whole time, she faced a lot of discrimination because she is in quite a conservative um, part of the country during um, what is a time where there is a lot of discrimination against Cuba. Mm -hmm. So she struggled with that. Um, However, she managed to create some very powerful work which revealed the truth about violence against women during that time, which um, she actually took with her as she moved to NYC and created these amazing works, um, these earthworks, that focused on themes um, of feminism and pushed the boundaries of ethnic, sexual, moral, religious, and political topics in society at the time. So she basically used uh, mediums that you wouldn't traditionally find in art, like sand and mud and dirt and blood and twigs and leaves, and she created female silhouettes that were quite confronting for people. Right. Um, and just really made people face their own, you know, hangups 
basically, about women and about the female body. And she felt that women could find more peace and freedom by reconnecting with the earth because we are so connected with the earth, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. So um, one of her main themes is that people or her viewers should disregard their own gender, race, or other defining societal factors and instead focus on connecting with the humanity they share with the others around them. I feel like this is so prevalent today as well, that we're trying to still get people to stop looking at gender and actually just look more at humanity. Yeah, look Mm. past those things or stop uh, making assumptions about others based on those things at least. Mm. Speaking of gender, the the fourth person um, that we wanted to tell you all about today is Marsha P. Johnson. Yes. And Marsha P. Johnson was born in 1945 and was actually born as Malcolm Michaels Jr. Mm. Um, And Marsha was an American gay liberation activist and self-identified drag queen. One of the first, I would say. Mm. Um, and Johnson was known as being an outspoken advocate for gay rights and was one of, one of actually the prominent figures in the Stonewall Uprising. Um, but because they appeared as Marsha, um, the the reason that Marsha actually had P in her name mm-hmm. as Marsha P. Johnson when, when being Marsha, um, the P actually stands for pay it no mind because people would say so what gender are you like quite disparagingly Mm. and Marsha would respond sarcastically about that question with it stands for pay it no mind Mm. like mind your own business (laughs) that is very bold I can that is very awesome I can feel the sass yes I love it I love it um but yeah Marsha P Johnson was um part of the revolution um the gay revolution that was started with Stonewall and is named as being in the vanguard of the pushback against the police at the Stonewall uprising. And they continue to be a major part of street activism for gay rights until their untimely death in 1992 when they were found in the Hudson River after a pride parade. And this death was originally ruled as suicide, but actually after a few years of campaigning, because many people believed it was the result of homophobic violence, um, it was eventually um, kind of named as like undetermined, which still isn't a conviction. Yeah. And it's a really, really sad way for such a prominent and leading figure to to meet their end. But, yeah, yeah. Mm. But wow, what... Um, what an amazing thing that they accomplished when they were alive. Mm. So the next one I was obsessed with for a very long time, and then I gave you the name, and you've just recently become obsessed with her, so I'm going <laughs> to let you take that one too. Yeah, so so you told me about Nellie Bly, who was um, a journalist born in 1864, and she was American. She was an American journalist. She was an inventor. She did a lot of charity work, and she's actually famous for two things. And the first of these things was that she worked as a journalist to do an undercover report on a mental mental institution just outside of New York that was basically really badly mistreating the women that were Wow. that were going there. Um, but to do this, she had to pretend that she was insane so mm. that she could actually be committed to this mental hospital. Wow. Um, and just to like give you a bit of like more background on Nellie Bly, she was actually out of work for four months and trying really hard to get a job. And this is like in the late 1800s. So it's not a lot of women were yeah. working in the first place. Yeah. yeah. This is like, yeah, really, really tough. 
Um, but she managed to talk her way into taking an undercover assignment for the New York world um, in which she agreed to feign insanity so that she could investigate some of the reports of brutality and neglect at the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's Island. Wow. Even the fact that, like, now it would, it would never be called a lunatic asylum. Like, it just shows, like, how... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and back changed. then, too, like, the, the bar for a woman being a lunatic was extremely low, as yeah. I understand it. Like, you could, like, disagree with your husband and it's like... Like, oh, she's a lunatic and like kind of send her off. I mean, maybe not that easy, but yeah. like it's it like your family could commit you, right? Without much evidence of your lunacy. Well, in my research about her, um, the way that she actually was committed to this asylum was she she stayed up all night so that she looked really, really tired and mm-hmm. haggard. Mm-hmm. And then like started muttering to herself when she was staying at a boarding house mm. for people who didn't have a, a home. And right. then the matron was like, she is clearly insane. And then she went to court and was sectioned, like from doing a court appearance. So wow. she she obviously was acting so that she could be, you know, made to be crazy, but it really didn't take that much to, yeah. to go. Dude, I've stayed up all night and then muttered to myself the next day all day over <laughs> like a breakup or something or like a fight yeah. with an ex-boyfriend. <laughs> like I could have been committed multiple times in my yeah. life if that's, if that's what it takes. Um, <laughs> anyway, so then what did she do? She she stayed in this asylum? So yeah, she went to this asylum and she was there for 10 days and experienced the deplorable conditions that mm. were that the women were facing there. Yeah. And then luckily, obviously, she was undercover, so the world um, managed to get her released. Yeah. And she then released a report um, which was published in book form and it was called 10 Days in a Madhouse. Wow. And this book caused a sensation and completely brought her to everlasting fame. Like, we're talking about her now. Like, she's, it was really something that kind of propelled her as a personality. And mm. it also prompted that asylum to implement reforms um, so, so that important. it didn't happen again. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's Nellie Bly. She also did a record-breaking trip around the world in 72 days. Oh, just a little trip just around the world. casually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's Nellie. Oh, nice. Um, so the next one I want to talk about is Emma Rowena Gatewood, or she's often also called Grandma Gatewood. Okay. Um, and this one is quite interesting to me because she's from Appalachia. She was born in October. On October 25th, 1887 in Mercerville, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So that's like Southern Ohio. And I actually had a great grandmother who was born there and a grandmother who was also born in the area. Um, And it's really interesting because my great grandmother has a really similar story, not in what she accomplished, but in the the kind of marriage she endured. So um, Emma actually, she grew up in Appalachia. Most women married quite young. There um, during the time, and she actually bore 11 children. What? 11. <laughs> 11. Yeah. Oh, my god. I'm pregnant with my third child, and I'm like, okay, it's time to come out now. Wow. I cannot imagine having 11. Um, but so she, while she was, um, you know, giving birth to and raising these 11 children, she was in an extremely abusive marriage, which she survived mm-hmm. for 30 years. Oh, my gosh. Yes, 30 years, her husband abused her while she was raising these children. And every time that he would attack her, she would actually run into the woods to seek refuge, to hide from him. Mm -hmm. So she became someone who viewed the wilderness as her safe haven. And it's what helped her survive throughout her terrible marriage, really. Mm. Um, 
And, you know, basically she became very comfortable in the woods as a result. So once her children were grown and they were off having children of their own, and she was actually a great grandmother at this point, because like I said, you know, people were marrying young back then, especially in that part of the world. Um, She was 67 years old. It was 1955. And she hiked the entire Appalachian Trail by herself in (laughs) one season, carrying only a small sack and relying on a pair of Ked's tennis shoes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. She was like the ultimate minimalist hiker. Like, it's a thing now. Like, it's a trend to not have to have, to have too much gear and to just be one with nature. Like, she was like the OG of being one with nature. And just to, like, put this in perspective, the Appalachian Trail is 2,190 miles long. And it takes, like, yes. five to seven months to do. <laughs> She's a 67-year-old woman. Yeah. Wow. So, um... Actually, by the time she died, she died of a heart attack and um, allegedly, they think, they don't know for sure, but in, in 1973, she was 85, but she had hiked the length of the Appalachian Trail three times. Wow. She was the first person, man or woman, to conquer it more than once. Oh my gosh. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Women are so resilient and strong. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and someone else who was resilient and strong was um, Nina May McKinney. Who's that? And she was born in 1912 and was an African-American actress that actually um, starred in Hollywood's first all-sound feature with an all-black cast. Oh. And she was revered as this actress. They were like, wow, this, this woman's amazing. But then she she was signed for a, a contract, basically, for five years of a major studio, but there was no leading movie roles for black women at the time. It was wow. the 1930s, and um, racism was obviously still so rife. So she actually moved to Europe and found fame in the UK and in European screen and stage productions Wow! and became a, like a famous actress there. She didn't let it stop her. She just went out and went after what she She's wanted. like, well, you don't want me to act here? I'm going to yeah. just, you know. <laughs> I'll act that. <laughs> yep. I'll be out of this place then. Yeah. Your loss. So what did she star in? Um, one of her famous films is um, Hallelujah. That was one of the first ones mm. that she was in. And then she was in a number of um, kind of like Hollywood era productions. Beautiful. Well. Beautiful. Um, the next person I want to talk about is Margaret Sanger. So um, Margaret Sanger was actually born Margaret Louise Higgins um, on September 14th, 1879 in Corning, New York. So at this time, you know, women really didn't know much about their own fertility. So basically, you'd get married quite young um, in most parts of America and most parts of the world, really. And then you would just like have as many babies as you naturally had. Like, there wasn't much that you could do. I mean, there was some shady stuff going on, but there wasn't much that you could do because you weren't educated about your own body or about, you know, how your own fertility worked um, or anything. And Mm. you couldn't control it, you know? Having just watched Bridgerton, I now see how that Oof. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So um, Margaret became a American, um, an American birth control activist, sex educator, writer, and nurse. Mm-hmm. So she basically felt, um, as many people feel, that for women to have uh, more equal footing in society and lead healthier lives, they needed to be able to determine when they would bear children. Right. So they needed to be able to have some control over their own bodies. Um, So she wrote a book 
called Family Limitation to teach women about their own fertility. So like, huh. when are you fertile? When are you not fertile? When can you have babies? Blah, blah, blah. What could you avoid? Like maybe avoiding intercourse during a certain week or day. In oh my order. gosh, so it was like limiting your family size, basically. Yes. So you don't huh. have to have 11 or 12 kids if you don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could limit your family size and have a little bit more control over your own body. And um, this book helped women understand their cycles and better plan their families. She was prosecuted. Really? For writing this book. Why? Because they didn't want women to know this information. (laughs) It was anti-whatever. Yeah. Um, So she was prosecuted for it, but she continued going. Um, She actually, it's kind of funny, she's escaped to the UK when she was prosecuted because she was scared of being in America. Really? So she went and hid out over there for a while. Um, But then she came back. Um, Her efforts in this area over her lifetime helped contribute to several... um, judicial cases that helped legalize contraception so birth control was not not legal back then um she helped legalize it she opened the first birth control clinic in the united states in 1916 and she actually established organizations that evolved into uh, what became the planned parenthood federation of america which provides birth control to uh, women in lower socioeconomic situations to all women but Mm. women who can't afford it as well and also um birth control education. What an amazing lady. Yes. We owe a lot to her. Yes, we do. So who is next on our list, Sylvie? Next on our list is Ida B. Wells, and she was a writer and activist. Beautiful. So Ida was born in 1862, and she was actually an American investigative journalist, um, and she was a really early leader in the civil rights movement. Now, um, what was amazing about Ida is that she was actually born into slavery and was mm-hmm. freed in the Emancipation Proclamation during the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and really sadly, at the age of 16, she actually lost both her parents and her brother to yellow fever. There was an epidemic in 1878 that just killed masses and masses of people. Wow. And honestly, like the thought of that is just awful. And especially at the moment with the pandemic that's happening here to to imagine to lose all your family like that. Your entire family as a teenager. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. But she she went on to continue in education and then actually ended up co-owning and writing for the Memphis Free Speech and Headlight newspaper. Mm-hmm. And what she really wanted to cover and report on was racial segregation and inequality. So she actually documented um, lynching in the United States in articles, and it was through her pamphlet called Southern Horrors, Lynch Law in All Its Phases that she actually uncovered about how white people weren't lynched at all, and it was actually reserved for black criminals only. Wow. Um, So she was really outspoken with this, and um, as a black female activist, she was often faced with regular public disapproval, but she just went about her way and made sure that her voice was heard through her writing. Wow. So she was one of the first advocates of racial equality Mm -hmm. of her time. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So Nat, do you want to tell us who our 10th female leader is? Yes, absolutely. So this um, female leader is called Zelda Wynn Valdez, and she was a fashion designer and full-figure advocate Mm. in her time. So she was actually born in 1905 in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and she is a black American woman. She um, was 
basically a legend because she was the first African-American designer to open her own shop on Broadway. She opened it in 1948, wow. and she's most famous for designing the original costumes for the Playboy Bunnies um, and the Dance Theater of Harlem. So cool. she's basically one of the first designers to design for a fuller figure. Mm. Yes. And she had this amazing saying, you know, it was one of the first women to say, you know, the clothes should fit the woman, not the woman fitting the clothes. Oh, my gosh. Right. Like, let's not starve ourselves to yeah. get into teeny tiny clothing. Let's make clothes that actually accentuate the natural curves of a woman, which is really great. Um, and in her store, she sold her signature low-cut body-hugging body gowns, which accentuated these figures um, and unapologetically just showed a woman's curves. So quite like sexy clothing as well. Like Yeah, yeah. yeah like celebrating the goddess that is woman, yeah. which is Pretty incredible. Um, she also led the National Association of Fashion and Accessory Designers, a coalition that was founded for the sole purpose of promoting black designers. What a legend. So she was ahead of her time. Yeah. Well, this has been really inspiring. Yeah. Do you that, feel good? Yeah, I feel yeah. so inspired. That concludes our um, 10 female leaders today. But <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to revisit this subject <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> Because we deserve it. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, um, please do leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, and ha make sure to join our Facebook group, the Female Founders Network. Thanks, guys. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout. <laughs>